0: She's a police officer in the upper northwest of the United States. When she was a rookie, still in field training, she and her partner, FTO, were ambushed. Her partner was shot and killed. She's here to tell her story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. Download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John j wiley w-i-l-e-y at let radio show on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app calling us from seattle we have Britt kelly on the phone Britt is a police officer in the seattle police department upper northwest of the united states first of all brit thanks for your service secondly thanks for agreeing to tell your story on the law enforcement today's show very much appreciated
1: well, thank you for an invitation, I'm
0: very flattered. The thing about Britt's story is, yeah, I, I gotta tell you, there are certain nightmares that, that all cops tend to have. One is when losing a, a partner, and that's something she went through, and she'll talk about that. Secondly is being forced into really bad situation When you're still new, when you're in field training, which is what you went through, and then having to pick up the pieces afterwards. The last nightmare I had all the time is the gun doesn't work for whatever reason. I don't know why. I still get those periodically, but they're not as frequent as they used to be. Britt, when you were in field training, which we'll talk about in a moment— different agencies do it different ways. You were still very much a rookie. I think you were 20 days into field training. You and your partner, your field training officer, were ambushed and shot. Am I correct?
1: Yes, that is uh, completely correct.
0: I I, I don't know how to have this conversation, to be honest with you. And by the way, her, her partner was killed. And I'll let Britt tell the story because there's really no comfortable way to talk about this there's really no polite way to have this conversation and even all these years being retired from police work Britt, i'll be honest with you i don't feel comfortable talking about this
1: well you know i can appreciate that uh i've been with the seattle police department for over 13 years now and the majority of the people in my department Uh, won't ask me about it because it is still, it's just when an officer dies, it's an uncomfortable feeling for all of us.
0: Yeah. I still mourn for officers that were killed when I was a rookie.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, death is not, death is something we, we deal with almost it seems day to day, but when it's one of our own, it's almost that elephant in the room that we pretend isn't there. Um, And, to be quite frank, I've found that that's a shame that we do that because being from the perspective that I come from with being involved in it, I want to talk about it. And I don't think i um, an anomaly. I, I want to talk about it. It's therapeutic to me. It remembers Tim, uh, Officer Brenton, who's uh, my training officer that, that died that, that evening. And I just feel like it's holding attribute to agreeing to never forget by, by talking about it and talking about him, even if it is about just remembering his last moments.
0: I think part of this is, and, uh we're we all know the dangers of the job I didn't walk around thinking oh something bad could happen today uh, or this could be my moment because it's impossible to do a job if you think like that it's always going to happen to someone else it's never going to happen to me and by the way I happen to be that good I happen to be you know super cop whatever it might be but when we are forced to look at and talk about officers being shot and killed like Tim Breton, it kind of forces us to look at her, this could be me. And if that cop had, and when I say cop, by the way, that's a, a personal, that's a compliment for me. Uh, if I say street cop, it's a big compliment. But w- when we look at Tim Brennan being shot and killed, it kind of forces us to say, well, if he was a good cop, that could happen to me too.
1: I think that's a lot of why we as officers don't, don't speak to it because I think it makes it that much more real. When you know the closer the closer death gets to us, the more of a reality our own uh, our own mortality uh, seems to have.
0: Well, and, how about this? Why don't we just go ahead and it's just dive in the deep end? Tell us about the incident uh, from your perspective. What happened? What you went through?
1: Sure, um, as you mentioned. I was in my 20th uh, shift ever and the way the Seattle Police Department does it is our field training consisted of essentially three months of field training uh one month with with a different field training officer and you were we call them rotations and it was just expected the first rotation you were kind of crawling your second rotation you were walking by your third rotation you would be running etc and i had actually was on my second day with tim in my second rotation so my my walk phase if you will and you don't know each other that well when you start out. uh, I, I didn't know Tim prior to this, so I really was just on my second shift with him. There's that awkwardness of making small talk and it was October 31st, 2009. So it was Halloween. And for anyone who's familiar with the Seattle area, we were in the Capitol Hill area was our our beat, which Capitol Hill is kind of a funky area that's just kind of, it, it was going to be a fun night of lots of costumes and lots of uh, things to watch. And I was really quite excited to be assigned to this area, especially for Halloween. And it was a Saturday night, it full moon. It was just, everything was lining up to be uh just a fun, fun night for someone who's a student officer. And um we were out rolling around our, our work nights. Shift started at uh seven thirty PM, went till four AM and we were just a couple hours into shift. And I was trying to be that uh, proactive student officer by initiating traffic stops and contacts and such. And we had just got a really long traffic stop because it kind of got convoluted with some things that were going on. And we started to finally drive away. It was just about 10 o'clock um, on that that night. So obviously dark out and we started to drive and Tim just kind of said to me as I, I was driving, I was, um, the student drives. And so I was driving our patrol car and, uh, Tim says, why don't you pull over so we can debrief that traffic stop? He had been taking notes on a stenopad of all the things that I had done right, mostly what I had done wrong, of course, um, being new. And so we, I just pulled over on a random side street. It was just a very rural, um, not rural cause I mean, Seattle's not rural. World, but it was just a, a very um, side street with a lot, a lot of houses. There was nothing commercial around, if you will. And so much so that it was such a small street that even though it was a two-way street, only one lane of traffic could really get through. There wasn't even really anything but very dim ambient lighting from any traffic lights. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of parked on the side of the road, um, parallel parked. Actually, even not even a parking spot I was blocking a, uh, a an apartment complex driveway. And we sat there and were just kind of going over what I did, um, could have done better. And which, by the um, way, is how I, we learn. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 absolutely. And but you can imagine, as the rookie officer, I didn't want to sit and hear everything I'd done wrong. I wanted to go out and go do yeah. the next thing, you know. And so I was just, you know, ready to go get him. And um, but I you know, I was absolutely heeding what Tim had to say. And I was, I was parked on. What was the west side of the street? So the um, the street uh, traffic went by the side of the car where I was um, that We're going take a short a. break.
0: We are talking with Britt sure. Kelly. She is a police officer in Seattle. On her 20th shift in field training, her and her partner were ambushed. Police officer Tim Brenton was killed. When we return, she's going to tell more of the story. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store. So join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com scroll down to the sign up area that's let radiohow.com so long for today's show return our conversation with Britt Kelly she's a police officer in Seattle Washington on her 20th shift 20th while a field training officer her and her partner police officer Tim Brenton were ambushed he was shot and killed and Britt you're telling the story, and I'm sitting here listening to the lead-up. And I can remember being a rookie officer in field training and not wanting to do anything wrong and not want to be criticized and pointed, but we welcome that. That's how we learn. And that continued on even after field training when I was a rookie my first year. The old-timers would call us up on the spot and say, Hey, you did this wrong, and you did that wrong, or do this better. You pulled over your car, you were driving, which is impressive because I'd never let rookies drive, but you were driving, you pulled over and you're getting ready to get debriefed. And you said it was a a residential area, not a lot of foot traffic, not a lot of lights, not a lot of stuff going on. It's Halloween night. Then what happened?
1: Yeah. So we're sitting there in the car and, um, I was looking down. Tim had the sound pad on his lap and we had the uh, inside dome light um, on. And so he's just kind of going over different things. And again, I'm sitting square facing forward. My head, as you can imagine, tilted just to the right. And I had my, my driver window. um, I think probably like a third of the way down. We were in a regular old crown Vic uh, at the time. And um, I don't know what, made me look up. I don't know if Tim said something. I don't know if I saw Tim look up. I don't know if I heard something. I'll, I'll be honest. But I started to look to my left, so out my window towards the street, if you will. And as I started turning my head, my my eyes and my head really only got to about, uh, you know, the A pillar kind of like, you know, to the left edge of the windshield, if you will. And as my head got right to there, I could see a a vehicle outside of our vehicle pulled so closely to our car that if I wanted to open my door, I would not have been able to. And I could tell that the car was shorter, but that's as much as I gained uh, visual when uh, all of a sudden this incredible um, bright flash incredibly loud um, noise, bang, whatever you want to say, um, and the intense smell of gunpowder went off all what seemed simultaneously. And uh, I just ducked it, it, it as fast as I could. And um, if you... I, I'm, I'm short I'm only five foot two and, and very grateful for that at this point um, because I was small enough that I was able to actually kick my hips up so that um, my butt was against the, the driver's door and my face went down to where our in-car computer MDT and the cradle for the uh, the mic was for the radio and um, kind of went down that way. I just instinctively uh, got out of the way, and it was nothing but sheer uh, luck, to be quite frank. Um, we were under fire, and I just kept hearing gunfire go off uh, over my head, and with every gunshot, I just kept kind of ducking deeper and deeper into the vehicle, and um, having just been out of academy, I'll tell you the first thought that kind of went through my head was it almost felt like it was a scenario, an academy scenario, and, and I w- actually asked myself in my head, do I have right to shoot back? And um, it's interesting that when you go through something so traumatic and horrific like this, you, you don't when you think back on it, it's not a smooth like movie. It's almost like you have snapshots and like, it's like a slideshow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all kind of disjointed. And so I didn't ever really answer that question in my head. I just kept hearing shots go off and the sound of gunfire uh, eventually ended. And I, I, Shut up. Again, I don't know if I heard something. I don't know why I felt it safe to sit up, but I did, and I tried to acquire the the target of where this had gone or was coming from to realize that the vehicle didn't actually proceed forward. It actually backed up. It it um, knew better than to drive in front of our cars because we had in-car cameras. And so the car was actually backing up to flee. And if you remember, I mentioned the road was actually so narrow that there wasn't really area to turn around. And so the car was backing up at a high rate. The next thought I had and remember is that I was standing out with my gun in hand. And I was probably three trigger pulls in when I started, like when I have recollection and, and memory. And I was shooting at the fleeing vehicle. And um, he did end up being able to turn around um, and took off. I stopped firing when I felt it was uh, not a, any longer a safe distance to, to continue to fire. Right. And realized that because the car was still moving, I obviously didn't uh, injure the, the driver enough to stop this. And at this point, I honestly was kind of ticked at Tim. Uh, because I knew that I was a student officer and as a student officer, you're supposed to handle these calls on your own and really kind of only relying on your, on your training officer if you need it. Or, you know, I was, like I said, I was in that walk phase and Tim wasn't getting out of the car to help me. And so I, I was quite ticked and I thought to myself, Hey, you know, like I know this is on me and all, but like a little help would be, would be awesome. Right a little
0: now. help over here, bud. Uh, be appreciated.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and so Car flees, goes out of sight, and I realize, okay, well, I I gave away the fact that, you know, I'm I'm still here. Uh, I, I'm gonna get flanked now. I better go take deeper cover. So, I kind of moved to the front of the patrol car, and took cover for a second, and was about to like engage him and be like, hey, hey, like what, you know? And um, it was when I was at the front of my patrol car, and again, ambient lighting, as I mentioned, super dim, um. I looked into the windshield and realized why Tim was not helping me. Tim had succumbed to uh, his injuries and had been uh, shot. It turned out that the um, the subject had a um, a rifle and had engaged us with a rifle and shot at us uh, with seven um, rifle rounds at obviously close range.
0: That's just so horrifying. And there's there's nothing there's nothing about this that you can sugarcoat. And I, I got to say no. this, when when you pulled over, you know, m- my wife, God bless her, she is very much aware that I don't like having the interior dome light on at night because it makes my ability to see the outside, uh, it diminishes that, number one. Number two, you, you made an, point, an important point that was taught early on. No matter what the weather's like, always drive around with your car window down a little bit so you can hear what's going on, especially hear people sneaking up on you or hear someone screaming for help or gunshots or all that. But I don't think there's anything. I'm, I'm going to rephrase that. I know there's nothing in the training I went through that prepares you for this potential situation occurring. And when we return, we're going to our conversation with Britt Kelly. She's a, a police officer in Seattle, Washington. She was in field training, her 20th shift in. She and her partner, field training officer, police officer Tim Brenton were ambushed and shot. Tim was killed. When we return, we're gonna more of the conversation about what happened, the incident, and afterwards. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com there's only one official facebook page what you do you do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show click like and follow there you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show you can contact me we also find unique one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there this is a law enforcement show returner conversation with Britt kelly she's a police officer in seattle washington when she was in field training october 31st 2009 her 20th shift in field training she was assigned to police officer tim brenton they were ambushed and shot tim was killed for the break break you're talking about this shooting and we'll get back to that in a moment but your initial act my my initial reaction when people shot at me was number one why are you you don't even know me why are you shooting at me why are you trying to kill me number one number two i couldn't help but get angry and it's not an anger that makes sense in a logical way it's a very primitive type of anger so the fact that you were angry at your partner the field training officer for not helping you is understandable When you noticed, you said you're in front of the the police car, trying to get some cover, and, man, I can relate to so many stories there. Well, you're trying to get some cover, and then you realize that he was mortally wounded. That's got to be a real gut punch.
1: Yeah. um, You know, kind of the interesting thing about it, and I don't know if the word interesting is is the right word to use, um, something I've had to really kind of work through, so... um, the part I didn't mention is that when, uh, I had mentioned I was in the car and I was taking cover and I mentioned that my, I put my head down and where I happened to end up was with my head right down by the in-car two-way radio mic, the cradle. And, uh, when I had opened my eyes, I saw that the cradle was there. And so I made my first radio transmission from that, that in-car mic. And, uh, I don't really recall what I said. I, of course, heard the transcript or heard the the recording, I should say, not the transcript, the recording. And I hear myself in a very high-pitched voice saying uh, shots fired north of Yesler. Yes, there was the street that we were indeed north of. Unfortunately, Yesler is a long street, so it could have been north of anywhere. But uh, that's what I came out with dispatch did a great job of instantly pinging our car. We had GPS on our cars at the time, um, just pinged our location of our car. And my next radio transmission was when I was in front of the car. I realized uh, I, I got to tell them exactly where I am. I got to do a help. The officer here, I need, I, I need some assistance. And it was at this time that I was using my portable radio keying in uh, to kind of alert people what was going on, and I don't, again, recall, I I mean, I even wrote my statement, I wrote my statement, because they didn't let me, of course, hear any of this until after I wrote my statement, I wrote my statement that I had radioed in and said to send medical that we had an officer down. Uh, In reality, what I said when I went over air is I said, send medical, Uh, my partner is dead. And obviously that transmission goes out to everybody who's right. listening and if you can imagine there's a help the officer and an, I know every agency is different but ours has tones you hear those tones we're all like a bunch of Pavlov dogs we could be in the middle of smoking joking in the coffee shop you hear those tones it goes dead silent and you wait to hear what you know what what this alert is so the alert had already gone out uh, everybody was listening and then they hear my voice come over air and say my partner's dead oh. um so Uh, obviously I had known at that point and, um, the, the, the mind, the brain trauma is such an intense thing. I don't actually have a visual of what I saw in that windshield. Uh, I don't try to unbury that. I let it be buried. I consider that a blessing if you will. Um, but obviously I know from my words exactly what I saw. And so I knew at this point that I was in this for myself. I needed to protect myself. And as you kind of mentioned, there's nothing that can prepare you for something like this. And I was, I was angry that, Somebody was hunting me, and that's exactly how I felt. I was being hunted. Like, I, we weren't engaged in anything. We weren't logged to anything. I wasn't arriving on a domestic or some other robbery or something where, you know, somebody's trying to get away from us to evade capture. I mean, honestly, I was just, we were the sitting ducks. And, um, so I just took deeper cover. and went up, uh, just completely abandoned the patrol car to make sure that I got deep cover, so that if this vehicle came back around, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be there. That's so
0: understandable. I, 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 I flash back to one of the last shootings I was in, and back then we carried revolvers. That's how long ago it was, Britt. And I was uh, vaguely aware uh, that. A whole lot of stuff had happened, but I was in a foot pursuit and a running gun battle with this guy, and he had a forty five and he was trying to reload it, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm in the middle of the street, I fired four rounds, I got two left, and I don't know if I shot ducks flying by, I don't know what happened. So I ran up and tackled the guy, and it doesn't make sense logically when you say it, but that's what my mind was doing, and it it's you, you said something earlier, it's like little clips, little bits and pieces, and it doesn't really flow the right way.
1: No. And that's, um, it's kind of a hard part, right? When you go back over this, because you, you want to know the answers of that in between and you find yourself filling things in and, and, and making sense or trying to add logic, whether it might not be. Um, and I had to do a lot of work really in the initial phases of this to accepting that I'm not going to know, a lot of the, the pieces in between and I had to just kind of be okay with that. And, um, you know, I eventually, thankfully the night of my incident at that point, um, the, the subject did not come back. He, he fled at that point, And because there was a healthy officer, it was the blue wave coming in uh, officers from all over the city, multiple jurisdictions, as you can imagine. And, um, you know, I, I saw the officers arriving because I, where I had position, I had kept an eye and, and just was kind of down between a couple of, of random cars in a parking lot. It was just, uh, scanning, scanning, scanning for this, this, um, subject to kind of pop back out. Um, and I saw the initial officers arrive and even though I saw them arrive, I sat there and I didn't give up my location because I still didn't feel safe to do so. And um, I saw those officers arrive and, um, as you can imagine, the normal thing when you do is when you arrive on a scene like that is they saw the patrol car sitting there and so where are they going to go but to the patrol car. And, of course, what was in the patrol car but their deceased partner. Um, And so my heart still hurts thinking about, you know, from their perspective, of uh, arriving on a call and having to still function and deal um, when this is what they're arriving on, they did eventually uh, find me. I gave up my location eventually, and uh, I knew that um, when they did find me, I had one of the options to ask, you know, are you are you injured? And I knew I'd been hit um, on my head. I had actually the first round had actually. Um, literally scalped me. It just, um, it kind of went through me like a small little gully on the top of my head, um, bleeding just very mildly. So, mu- so little that actually my hair was absorbing the blood. And what I didn't know is I heard the officer say to another officer, well, she's been shot in the back. And that was uh, an interesting thought that I sat there thinking, I don't, I don't feel that. Um, and it turns out that one of the subsequent rounds Um, actually um, went up the middle of my back and went through all the layers of my Kevlar, except for the very, very last layer, just kind of actually the the external carrier and went right up between my shoulder blades and how it uh, didn't, still uh, dig in to hit me in the back of the, the spine or uh, the back of the head is still like the trajectory just doesn't even really make sense but um, I you I know I, tell you, I,
0: Brit, I got just lucky we were so many calls where people are like are you hit you hit we had to frisk ourselves afterwards we didn't know because the adrenaline going you just didn't know and unfortunately I was never shot this is a Law enforcement Day show we're talking Britt Kelly she's a police officer in Seattle Police Department talking about the night that her field training officer and her were ambushed and her field training officer, Officer Tim Brenton, was shot and killed. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John j Wiley W I L E Y at L E T radio show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. This is Law Enforcement. show return to our conversation with Brick Kelly, a police officer in Seattle, Washington. When she was in field training, her twentieth shift, she and her partner, field training police officer Tim Brennan, were ambushed, shot. Tim was killed, and she survived. I'm sitting here listening to your story on the edge of my seat, Britt, because it's not supposed to happen. You think that this sort of thing happens to other people, or you see training films and the academy, whatever it is, but it's never going to happen to me. i got to ask you a question. First of all, did they catch the person who did this?
1: they did Um, it was actually poetic justice he got into a shootout with our homicide detectives right at the completion of the uh, memorial for Tim
0: good so we're not going to mention that person again I don't believe in in mention This, this conversation is about you and about Tim there's so many things to unpack. First of all, you continued on. As a rookie in field training, so many people say, that's it. I didn't sign up for this. And I'll be honest with you, Britt, I thought I knew what I signed up for. I didn't. I had no idea how violent police work was going to be where I was. But that's not supposed to happen. And all of the, I'm here to protect and serve and help people, and all the things that, that we say, easily you can say, I'm done with this. You continued on. You're still a police officer. You're still in Seattle, and you still live with this.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not going to lie. My my first words um, the night of, uh, right after that uh, officer found me and, and mentioned that oh she's been shot in the back. He asked me to hold her holster my duty weapon. I holstered it. Uh, heard the two retentions click click I threw my hands up in the air I walked off the water work started uh, I I said some expletives and I said I yeah. quit yeah, me and too. I, I was I, done
0: I, I, I'm not shocked I, I, the, the, last shooting, the last shooting I referred to I was throwing up afterwards and I was a senior experienced officer that was my third shooting That that was not supposed to happen and I was totally and I wouldn't talk to anybody I was ready to give it up at that point. So I understand totally. The fact that amazes me is you found a way, or someone said, hey, look, don't make the decision right now. Just hang out. We'll talk about it later. You found a way to, and I know it sounds corny, to pick yourself up and continue on doing this job in spite of.
1: It's a process. And, you know, the interesting thing was is that everybody kept saying to me, nobody would blame you for leaving the job everybody would understand if you didn't want to continue that's what I kept hearing which was which was lovely and was great it um, you know but I I actually wasn't at any point doing it for anybody else and I knew that I knew that I just kind of needed to survive and as you can imagine and I'm sure you felt it too, a few you're, you're just numb. You're absolutely numb. You don't even know what you're feeling. You don't feel, um, everything's kind of, um, overwhelming if you will. And so I had pretty much had it in my head that, I, yeah, I, I, like you said, uh, this happens to somebody else. This doesn't happen to me. And it was actually, um, it was probably five days later, uh, six days later, it was the day of, of Tim's memorial that I actually um, had an experience and realized um, with all the support, and I was able to all of a sudden kind of stand back and see the big picture and realize that doing this job was actually such a, a blessing and uh, something that you, you just can't explain to anybody. I wasn't even having to function on my own. I was being carried by not just my department, but just by the, the country. I, I was contacted by so many people. And I just, if I didn't want to quit and I didn't, they weren't going to let me fail. And the overwhelming feeling I had was, if I had been killed that night and Tim had survived, Tim would keep going. And if I quit... I'm giving power to the person who did this to me, and I'm letting him change the trajectory of my life, and I don't want to give him any power. And I just, I don't know how I had the wherewithal to to feel that way while going through all of this, but I just did and at that point, my fight just got bigger and stronger, and I just had this this burn in me to mm mm. I'll I'll show him. Good for you. Nope, it's going to take more than that.
0: I really appreciate you saying I'm not going to let this guy determine the trajectory of my life. You know, we're victimized once things happen, and it's hard for police to say that because they're oftentimes victims of crimes as well. I was, and, but when I continue on, and we'll get into some of this because it's inevitable it's perpetuating the victimization over and over again. So not letting this guy determine your trajectory of your life, I think is very powerful. My concern is, and I don't know if it's still an issue, did you deal with survivor's guilt?
1: Oh, I, I did. I, um, Interestingly enough is um, I could not understand why it was, that I didn't go and render medical aid to Tim. And I thought, how selfish of me to to have run off and take care of myself. And it wasn't until they actually finally let me listen to the recordings and I heard myself say, as horrible as it was, over air, my partner's dead, that all of a sudden it became clear to me, oh, that's why I took care of me. And that was my first bit of guilt. My second bit was at his memorial when they started, um, showing pictures of family because we had two young children at the time that were nine and 11 and a wife and all of this and a sister and a brother-in-law and brother and mom and dad, all these things. And I, I sat there and um I actually had to get up and, and leave them the memorial floor at that point, because I, I, everything started getting a black outline I was going to pass out and I really was physically overwhelmed with the guilt I had that I was alive because, you know, at the time, I was single, no kids, you know, and so I just, it was a horrible thing to get through, yeah. so that definitely took some, some work and um, some focus, for sure.
0: The really ironic things: I'm looking at the notes, and you are still with Seattle Police Department, you've done multiple jobs, right now, since June of 2017, you're a detective, you work in use of force and officer involved shootings. Do yeah. you find that difficult, or do you find your experience helpful? And in, in, and that's a really difficult job.
1: It is. It is, especially um, you know, with everything that police you know are under such scrutiny, rightly so. Um, and I wholly believe in doing these transparency investigations and these admin investigations to um, help bolster the the relationship between the public and, and law enforcement with the trust and stuff. So I wholly believe in what I do. It is extremely stressful um, because there is just a lot of pressure when, when these things happen. But one of the biggest reasons why I do what I do and have done what I've done for the last five and a half years is that when the officers come in and I see them wide eyed and having just gone through a near, uh, what they consider a near-death experience because obviously as officers, we don't fire our weapon unless we fear for our life or that of a civilian, you know? So that's a scary situation. And, you know, no matter how brave they act, um, I always know that they're in a really tough spot emotionally. And so I always let my compassion and sympathy come through for sure, and um, I think, I believe it helps me to do the job better because I can relate with them and to them, and I think it bolsters trust of them being able to speak to me and not feel that I'm being critical, if you will, that I'm just looking after their best interest, which includes getting their story out there.
0: One of the things I would imagine, and I'm only imagining, is the fear of the incident is one thing, the fear of being a suspect, and that's why we were treated as suspects until proven to be justified that you were the shooter. And the fear of talking to other investigators, I would think that, oh, she's been through this. Maybe she understands. Because a big part of it for me is, even with other police, Carrie, is if they haven't been there, I don't want to talk to them about it.
1: Well, and I, I always hope that. That's what they think. And, I, and again, we'll go right back full circle to the first thing we talked about is nobody wants to talk to me about this. So nobody will ever say to me, hey, I know you've been through something like, I'm glad you can relate, or I'm glad you might have an idea. Nobody will ever say that to me. Again, uh, everything I went to do is just this elephant in the room that I carry around with me. It's getting quite heavy. (laughs) I'm
0: so glad that you told your story. And as uncomfortable as it was, I got a lot out of it. I very much appreciate your service, and I really appreciate you being guests on Law Enforcement Today Show. Thanks so much.
1: thank you. Again, I'm,
0: I'm completely flattered. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.